week we started our Advent sermon series with a message about peace. We lit the first candle and talked about how apart from Christ, in our natural state, we are at enmity with God and with man. We talked also about how Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection, brings us into peace with God and with man by his grace. Then we talked about how those of us who have experienced this peace through Jesus, who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus, how we are privileged and obligated to have a ministry of peace. We execute this ministry by first proclaiming the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations so that they can believe and be saved, and also by pursuing unity within the body of Christ, specifically within this local church. And then at the end of all that, we participated in what is really an interactive demonstration of all of this peace in our observance of the Lord's Supper. Last week was a busy service, to say the least. I don't think we could have squeezed one more special thing into the service last week, but I thought it was a great way to kick off our Christmas celebration here at First Baptist Church. This week, we're going to spend some time focusing on the Christmas theme of hope, and we'll spend almost all of our time in 1 Peter chapter 1, but we're going we're gonna to reference a whole lot of other places in Scripture as we walk through what it is, what it means to have hope in Christ. So let's read together 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. We'll read through verse 13. This will serve as kind of our structure for the day, and we'll move, we'll move through it carefully. This is what God's Word says, 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while If necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. In these things which have now been announced to you, through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, verse 13, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we need your help today. In a, in a world that seems hopeless, in a world that is full of despair and sorrow, we pray that you will give us hope and that the hope that is ours because of Jesus will overwhelm 
our sorrow and despair. And we pray that you will help us to live this day with all of its pain, with all of its difficulty and trial in light of that glorious day to come. That day when because of Jesus, there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more sin, no more death. Help us to persevere in this day in light of that day for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as we talk about hope today, the first thing I want to do before we dive into the text in 1 Peter is to clarify that the biblical concept of hope is far different from our modern usage of that word. In fact, some would say it is almost the exact opposite. Today, when we use the word hope, we are stressing the unlikeliness of a thing. We use the word to communicate wishful thinking that runs counter to the odds and is, in fact, unlikely to take place. We hear this from our kids, especially this time of year. We hear it when they say, I hope I get a pony for Christmas. Or, I hope I, I, hope I get a dirt bike or a Nintendo Switch or Furby or Tickle Me Elmo or whatever it is. I hope that I'm going to get that thing. But it's not likely to happen. That's how we use the word today. And it would be a huge surprise if it were to take place. In essence, our modern usage of the word hope is an expression of uncertainty. It's far different from the biblical concept of hope. In the Bible, the concept of hope is all about certainty. It's all about confidence. A friend of mine describes it as, quote, a certain expectation of that which is sure, end quote. John Piper defines hope as, quote, a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future, end quote. To use another Christmas image that might be a better parallel to the biblical concept of hope, I hope that I get razor blades in my stocking at my parents' house this year. I hope that I get pajamas on Christmas Eve. And I am confident that both of those things will happen because they always happen. Right? It's not like I hope I get a pony. It is certain that these things are going to come to pass. They always do. And I look forward to them with confidence and with certainty. That's more like biblical hope. Although we, what we are looking forward to when we talk about biblical hope is infinitely better than razor blades or pajamas. Right? Now you might notice that I didn't use plum pudding as my Christmas example of this this year. For while I am certain of its appearance in a few weeks, the expectation of that appearance does something far different in my heart, uh, in my mind, and in my belly. It's a different kind of confidence, different kind of hope. In fact, if I was being honest, I hope we don't have plum pudding this year at Christmas. Bottom line is, when we talk about hope in the Bible, we are not talking about some pie-in-the-sky wishful thinking. We are talking about a settled confidence and certainty in the expectation. Do you see the difference? So so when we talk about hope today from the scriptures, don't think it's this nail-biting uncertainty, but it's rather this certain confidence that God will do what what he has said he will do. And there was a great line in your Sunday school lesson today that said something along that, along that that lines, that, that Jacob was confident that God would do what he said he would do because he said he would do it. Right? And when God says he will do something, he will do it. There's no uncertainty about it. He has always proven his faithfulness over and over and over again. 
So that's the first thing, the difference between our modern usage of the word hope and the biblical usage of the word hope. Second thing I want us to see before we dive into 1 Peter is a helpful nugget from John Piper, who back in the mid-80s, kind of early in his ministry in, in Minneapolis, Minneapolis, he um, preached a 16-week series of messages on the biblical concept of hope. And he helpfully points out the connection between hope and faith for the Christian when he says hope is faith in the future tense. That is brilliant right there. That hope is faith in the future tense. He goes on to say this. It'll be on the screen, I think. He says, hope is a portion or part of faith. Faith and hope, in my mind, are overlapping realities. Hope is faith in the future tense. So most of faith is hope. Now, we're not going to pick all of that apart today, but I want to pass it on to you for your consideration and, and to really kind of build this framework that Hope is the future tense of faith. It is what we look forward to with confidence. Just as, just as we look, I'll go ahead and give you the punchline of the whole day today. Just as we currently look backward to the work of Jesus with confidence that he has done all that is necessary for us to be reconciled to God, we look forward with just as much confidence to the future day of glory when we will be with him. Because of what he has done that we look back on, we look forward with confidence to what he will do. Does that make sense? So, faith, so hope is faith in the future tense. I think that's a great line. There are three things that I want us to see today from the text in 1 Peter. Three things to see and then one major application that really comes out in the text. First thing is that the Old Testament, the entire Old Testament, has a posture of hope in the Messiah to come. So, so as we read the Old Testament, we're reading it with a posture looking forward, a hope, a certain confidence of something that is to come, a Messiah that is to come. Secondly, we'll talk about how Jesus is the fulfillment of that Old Testament hope. On Christmas, when we celebrate the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are celebrating the fulfillment of all of that Old Testament hope in the person of Jesus Christ. And thirdly, we'll talk about how our hope as believers in Jesus Christ is focused on and founded on him, on his death, burial, and resurrection. So those are the three things we'll talk about today. First, let's see that the Old Testament has a posture of hope in the Messiah to come. You see this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12a. When Peter says this, as to this salvation in verse 10, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ, predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. Right? So Peter here is talking about these prophets who, who were predicting and foretelling the coming of the Messiah, even the sufferings of the Messiah, and the glories that would come after the sufferings of the Messiah. And we really do see this all throughout the Old Testament, especially in books of prophecy. And maybe even particularly at Christmas time, we celebrate some of this forward-looking posture of the Old Testament in the fulfillments of prophecies around Christmas time. We're gonna, I'm going to share a bunch of scripture with you right now in, in effort to kind of overwhelm you with evidence that the Old Testament was always looking forward. The Old Testament was, was never just, just there. 
uh, as if it was the end of all things. It was always looking ahead to someone who would come. So look at Micah chapter 5, verse 2 with me. This is classic Christmas prophecy when the prophet says, But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you one will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. This Christmas prophecy about the birth of the Messiah in Bethlehem. Isaiah, in chapter 7, verse 14, says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Right? This forward-looking, coming, coming God with us who will be a Messiah for you. Isaiah goes on in chapter 9, starting in verse 1, and says, But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as, as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Do you see the forward look of that? Like this coming day of hope and victory? Isaiah speaks more clearly of how that victory will come in Isaiah chapter 53 when he talks about this Messiah who will suffer, this servant who will suffer. He will reign through his sufferings. Isaiah says at the end of verse 2, he has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and the chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. So as Isaiah looks ahead to this coming Messiah, he doesn't, he doesn't see a Messiah who would come on a big horse with a sword and deliver God's people from their oppressors. He speaks of a Messiah who would come and die. A Messiah who would come and suffer in the place of his people so that they could be forgiven of their sins. Isaiah is looking ahead and seeing Jesus who would come. In Jeremiah 31, the prophet speaks uh, of a new covenant, a new covenant that would come. He says in verse 31, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. 
Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel in those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again, each man his neighbor, each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. Again, I'm trying to overwhelm you to show you that that the Old Testament is constantly looking forward, looking forward in Jeremiah to this new covenant, looking forward in Ezekiel chapter 36 to the new covenant, when God says, I will do this. I will do this for my own namesake. In chapter 36, Ezekiel says, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate my holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle you with clean water, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances." You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers, so you will be my people, and I will be your God. Moreover, I will save you from all your uncleanness, and I will call for the grain and multiply it, and will not bring famine on you. I will multiply the fruit of the tree and the produce of the field, so that you will not again receive the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations." I am not doing this for your sake, declares the Lord. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. So what I want you to see is that all throughout, all throughout the Old Testament, there is this forward look to a Messiah to come. And those great Old Testament saints lived with confident expectation that the Messiah would come and he would rescue his people. They may not have known when this would happen. They may not have understood completely how this would happen. But they lived with a sense of certain hope that it would happen. And it did happen. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas time when Jesus came. That's big point number two. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of this forward-looking hope of the Old Testament. When Jesus was born, the hope of the Old Testament was fulfilled. The promised Messiah had come. We see this in 1 Peter chapter 1, the end of verse 12, when he says, It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in these things which have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. In other words, the things hoped for in the Old Testament and by the Old Testament saints have now been announced to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we sing a Christmas song about this, right? Come thou long-expected Jesus. Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Jesus is the one that the world had longed for. 
Jesus is the one the Old Testament saints had been looking for, and he has come. And that's what the angels declare to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, uh, the angels appear to these shepherds who are out in their field. Read it with me, starting in verse 8. It says, in the same region, this is the night Jesus was born. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Like, that's it, right? Today, the Messiah has been born in the city of David. He says in verse 12, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing which has happened that the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which had been told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. That's the scene where the long-awaited Messiah has come. And the long-awaited Messiah has come. His name is Jesus, and his coming is what we celebrate at Christmas time. So the entire Old Testament is looking forward to the Messiah to come. Jesus is that Messiah, and he has come. And now our hope, our faith, and our hope are founded on and focused on him. Right, And this is what we're talking about. So it's not just the Christmas part of the story that is the foundation of our hope. It's the whole story of Jesus that is the foundation of our hope. And it's the whole story of Jesus that we need to recall at Christmas time. So at Christmas time, let's not just remember the incarnation. Let's not just remember this scene with Mary and Joseph and the baby in a manger. Let's remember also his identification with us. That the author of Hebrews says he was tempted in every way as we are and yet without sin. Therefore, he can be a, high, a sympathetic high priest for us. Let's think about all that it means that Jesus grew up just like we did. That he walked on this earth. That he experienced all the things that we experienced. Let's think about his identification with us. Let's think also about his perfect active righteousness. Let's remember that not only did he not sin... He was tempted but did not sin. Let's also remember that he actively fulfilled all of the law perfectly. That he didn't just not do what he shouldn't have done. He did everything he should have done. All, in all the ways we fail, Jesus succeeds. Let's think about his perfect active righteousness for us. And at Christmas time, let's think about his suffering. Let's think about rejection from his friends. Let's think about accusation from religious leaders. Let's think about the torment and the abuse that he experienced at the hands of Roman soldiers. And at Christmas time, let's think about his death on the cross for us. You may think it's weird that some people display a cross in Christmas lights at Christmas time when the focus is supposed to be on the little baby. But listen, this little baby came to die on the cross. 
I think it is perfectly appropriate for us who are trusting in Jesus to think about the cross at Christmas time. To think about his substitutionary death for us. That this little baby grew up and did everything right in the sight of God. And he died as a sinner because of our sins and not his own. He took our sins upon himself and he suffered and he died. And because he died, they buried him. And on the third day, he rose again. And so I think it is perfectly appropriate at Christmas time that we would think not just about the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, but the empty tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he has not just died for us, he has defeated death by his resurrection and lives forevermore. And that's not even all of the story, is it? Because after he raised from the dead, he interacted with the disciples for a while, and then he ascended into heaven, back to the place from which he came. And that's not even the end of the story of Jesus, is it? We need to think even more than that, because one day he's coming back. And at Christmas, I guess what I'm pleading to you is that at Christmas time, we would not just be mindful of one part of the story, but all of the story, because it's all of the story that is the focus of our hope, of our faith. We don't just have faith in a baby in a manger. We have faith in the perfect Messiah. We have faith in the, in the dying Savior. We have faith in the risen Lord. We have faith in the returning King. And hope because of Jesus. So it's not just the Christmas part of the story that is the foundation of our hope. It's the whole story. And Peter talks about this in chapter 1 starting in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So maybe if we would boil all this down, we would say two things. Number one, we look back, we look back in faith to Jesus' work on the cross. And we rest our whole weight on the person and work of Jesus Christ. His finished work on the cross, that he died for us and took the wrath of God in our place. He suffered the punishment in our place. They buried him and he rose again. So we who are trusting in Jesus are are in faith looking back to the work of Christ, the completed work of Christ. He said as he died on the cross, it is finished, right? There's nothing more to be added. His death and resurrection are sufficient for our reconciliation to God. And we don't just look back in faith, we look forward in hope to his return and to our glorification. And because of the certainty of his redeeming work in the past, we have a confident hope of the culmination of that salvation in our glorification to come. So maybe the bottom line is, heaven, glory, is not some pie-in-the-sky wish or some doubtful long shot. No, for those of us who have been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, heaven, glory, is a sure thing. It's a sure thing. It's more certain than razor blades and pajamas. It's a sure thing. Now, we don't know when or how we will experience that, but for those of us who have faith in Jesus Christ, we will experience, there will come a day. There will come a day when he will wipe away every tear, right? We see this in Revelation 21. Listen to what John says 
He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. There's no longer any sea. And I saw the, the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, no longer be any mourning, crying, or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes, he who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and the unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake of, that burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death. Two things I want you to see there. What is to come for believers? It's glorious day. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more death, all of which is a result of sin. No more sin. Being in the very presence of God, that is what is to come. That is our hope. Glory because of Jesus Christ. But I also want you to see the expectation for those who are not believers. Lake of fire certain expectation of judgment, condemnation. So if, if you're a believer today, you have this glorious hope that is certain and sure. If you're not a believer today, condemnation is also certain and sure. And I want to tell you that Jesus is the only escape from that condemnation. There's one application that flows out of all this consistently in the New Testament. When the New Testament authors talk talk about hope, they almost always link that hope to perseverance and endurance. And Peter does it here brilliantly. So the application today, the singular application today, is that hope, this hope, this future hope, faith in the future tense, is the key to endurance. Luther said that we live this day in light of that day. In other words, the certainty of that day to come with all of its glory helps us persevere in this day with all of its pain. Look at how he says it, starting in verse 6. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In this, the hope that is in Christ, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Skip down to verse 13. And he wraps all this up and makes the application. He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The certainty of that day, the hope of that day with all of its glory helps us persevere on this day with all of its pain. And so I want, I want to encourage you with that at Christmas time because we've got some folks who are hurting. The pain of this day is almost overwhelming. 
And I want to remind you of hope here at Christmas time. Hope not of candy and family and presents, but hope of a day, a never-ending day, where sin will be no more, and we will have perfect communion with God forever and ever. And all of that is available as a gift, a gift of grace that we receive by faith in the work of Jesus Christ, the person and work of Jesus Christ. So this hope of which I speak is only for those who are trusting in Christ. This hope is faith in the future tense. So the question is, do you have faith? Do you have faith in the present tense? <laughs> do you have faith at all? Do you, are you trusting in Jesus Christ? Are you resting your whole weight on what he has done in his death, burial, and resurrection? It's only through that faith that we can have hope for an eternity with him. Let's stand together and pray. <laughs> Father, we pray that you will open our eyes to the hope that is found in Christ alone. That you will show us that this kind of hope is not available anywhere else, but only in Jesus Christ. Pray for men and women and boys and girls who are without hope. They are without faith. They are dead in their trespasses and sins. They are lost. Doomed. Pray for them that you will reach down and rescue them like you've rescued me and so many others in this room. That you will teach them about your holiness. That you will teach them about their sinfulness. That you will teach them about your provision in Christ who died for sinners that they might be reconciled to you. Pray that you will give men and women and boys and girls faith to trust completely in Jesus Christ for their salvation, forgiveness, reconciliation to you. I pray that you give men and women and boys and girls repentance to turn away from the old way of life and walk with you in faithfulness and obedience. Pray that you'll bring hope to the hopeless, life to the dead man, that you will remove the heart of stone, give a heart of flesh that you will rescue and redeem for the sake of your own name and I pray for your people those that you have rescued and redeemed those of us who have hope because of Jesus pray that that hope will overwhelm us in the midst of our pain that we won't forget about the day that is to come and that we will live this day in light of that great day that we long for that we beg for. Help us to endure the present pain in light of future glory. In Christ's name we pray.